Hey there, what's up? It is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival. Welcome to the podcast episode number 224. Okay, let's face it. You are not getting to the live fire range as much as you would like to. And definitely not as much as you should be, right? That, my friends, is where dry fire training comes in. Now, everyone from special operations law enforcement and soldiers to professional competition shooters, they all swear by dry fire training as the number one best way to take your firearm skills to the next level. And this week, we have a new expert in our trainer network that's going to help us all fine-tune our dry fire practice to be more fun, more realistic, and more effective. It's all coming right up, but first, don't forget to grab your free show notes for this week's episode, including a handy-dandy one-page cheat sheet covering all the main points. All you have to do is go to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 224 and download it all absolutely free. And if you're enjoying the podcast, it would be so helpful if you would just jump on over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast from and leave us one of those fancy-schmancy five-star reviews and let us know how much you're loving the information that we're sharing with you. And now... Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. Okay, like me, I'm sure you've seen more than your share of those old kung fu movies. Our would-be martial arts master climbs a mountain and then has to wait outside the Shaolin Temple in the wind and rain for three nights before the wise master agrees to teach him. Then his lessons are just some mundane task that seems like it has nothing to do with fighting at all. Just like Daniel-san in The Karate Kid, who learned that wax on and wax off were actually teaching him martial arts, there's something to be said for seemingly dull, repetitive tasks that ingrain basic skills that can save your life. Now, the good news is that life is not a kung fu movie, and these same training tricks work just as well for your firearms training as they do for taking on the rival Chinatown gang. I'm talking about dry fire practice with your weapon. Now, you probably don't need anyone to teach you more about the basics of dry fire. We've talked about it several times on the program, but most people view dry fire as another one of those things that we should be doing, but it just sounds dull and boring, and there really isn't this loud bang or a bullet flying down range, so... Most people aren't doing it. But what if I told you that there's some advanced dry fire tactics that could really be upping your game and that they are anything but boring and they might just be the difference between life or death in a real gunfight. And that's what we're here to discuss. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat Survival Magazine and executive director of the New World Patriot Alliance with another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. And today we're talking about dry fire tactics with Nick Ryan of Ghost Ring Tactical. Nick, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. Good to be here. All right, guys. Listen, this is the first time Nick's been on our program, and uh, you're definitely going to want – he's going to be someone I know is going to be on in the future as well. He's got a lot of great training out there. He's a former U.S. Marine with the Golf 2-4 Infantry Battalion. He is an urban warfare specialist, a rifle range instructor, and a close combat instructor. He's also an expert in squad tactics and a former police officer to boot. He's an NRA-certified instructor and was also an instructor at the Firearms Training and Surefire Institute. And if that doesn't make you feel exhausted just thinking about all that training, he's also a martial artist with a background in Muay Thai, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Kempo, Boxing, and Krav Maga. Now, to learn more about Nick and his training, and he's got a lot of it to share, uh, definitely go check out his website over at www.ghostringtactical.com. Now, Nick, 
we, we talk about dry fire training a lot with our audience because I really believe in its importance in being able to help you really it gets you past like owning a gun. And, you know, I've had enough people on our range when we're instructing people that, you know, so many of the basics are what's failing and they're trying to come for advanced training, like sometimes those, those topics. And what we find is that so often the basics that could be done in dry fire without live rounds, um, somebody using that is really, really powerful. The problem is I think most people just, if, if, like I said, there, if there's no bang going on and no bullet coming out, it seems boring. And so most people aren't doing it. So what I wanted to get from you first is how do we get people into dry fire? Like how do we make this, what are some, what are some, some tips that you have for audience to make dry fire finally a part of, of their firearms training platform of their program? No, that's a great question, Jeff. Um, what we've seen over the years with people is uh, we as human beings, we're creatures of routine. And if we're able to actually get ourselves into a routine of doing dry fire and doing all the other training that we should be doing, then it's going to work for us. So, for example, uh, myself. So I have been doing my set routine for I didn't know how many years now. But what I do is I get my, my dry fire practice done first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, I get it done. So I get up in the morning. Okay. I brush my teeth. Third thing I do is I get in my dry fire. I get it done for the day, first thing in the morning. All it takes, all it takes is like five to ten minutes a day. That's it. And again, when it comes to creating new habits, really we've got to get in that set routine for, we got to do it for at least 30 to 60 days. If you're able to get it in and get it part of your routine for 30 to 60 days, that, that habit is going to be more ingrained into your, your habits. It's going to be ingrained into your, into your, your, your mind so that you'll, be able to continue doing it all going on. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I think it's important about that is like if one, one, if you do it in the morning, you know, it's not going to like a lot of times we get done from work. Right. And it's like, Oh man, I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel like working out. I don't feel like, you know, so it ends up, it's like, well, I'll just do that tomorrow. And then tomorrow becomes the day after and the day after and the day after. Um, so one thing, one thing about it is that it does get it out of the way. But the other thing I'm thinking is that, like if you're a concealed carry, if you if you carry a handgun concealed, then basically that that gets any mistakes out of the way. Like it, it helps prime you for the day. Basically, if you had to use your weapon during the day, and if you know, so one, it gets you it gets you um, it gets you doing a repetitive, you know, doing that task like drawing it, whatever the the dry fire task is that you're going to focus in on. Um, but but the other thing is that. It, it, you make your mistakes early. So if your clothing isn't set up right, if you're, if you're, you know, you, you need a better way to, um, to get to your firearm. You want to care, you should be carrying it on, you know, the 330 position on your hip instead of appendix because of what you're wearing. Like it, it helps you make those mistakes now versus in the parking lot when you're coming out of work or headed to work or, you know, and, and all of a sudden you, that's when you're attacked. So that's not the time you want to find out that that, that that dress shirt that you were wearing gets all, you know, <laughs> messed up with the gun when you're trying to get it out or whatever. So, so, um, I think that's another real good reason for doing that. Um, so that's, that does help people. And, and you're right. It takes a while to build up that habit. So good advice. Um, yes. You know, we offer, I think one of the other things, Nick, when it comes to dry fire training is, 
uh, I think just with like with anything, like if I, I get more business work done, if I'm in my office versus me trying to do it like at the kitchen table with the kids and dogs all over the place. Right. Like, so, so it helps to have a, I think a place to do your dry fire training. I'm not sure like where you do your drive. I've seen you like in the videos of your training videos and things like that. A lot of time you're out at the live fire range. Now, most people don't, like have one in their backyard. They maybe don't get there. And besides, if you're going to live fire range, most likely people want to want to do live fire, right? So I think it helps to also have like a a, a fixed location or a plan for where you're going to do your dry fire. So that's like that space for dry fire. We have a whole we actually have a whole program on like designing your own like tactical range like out of your home in your home and stuff. So so I, I, what tips do you have for people when it comes to setting up? like a dry fire space for them. What are some tips that you have that would make this um, kind of easy for them that, that anybody can, can kind of set up a space for themselves? No, exactly. So um, again, a lot of my videos, I, yeah, I'm out of my ranch and doing, doing the uh, dry fire out there, but most of my dry fire is not done out there. Most of my dry fire is done at my house uh, where I live. And what I actually do for my setup, I actually don't have one set spot that I do my dry fire. I actually print it out. I print out uh, like eight and a half by 11 targets, uh, just regular sheet of paper, and I actually have them taped up all over my house. Now, when I first did this, uh, again, I've got a wife and kids, and my wife was like, what in the hell are you doing? Uh, I don't want to have targets all up over the house, on the walls, uh, you know, especially if people come over. Uh, but I got her into doing dry fire as well, and that changed her mind. She's like, okay, that's kind of nice to have all these targets already up for you. So when you first get up in the morning and you're doing your dry fire, whatever that drill is that you're doing, um, you know, maybe a target that I have set up behind my my door in my room, and I can just drill whatever drill I'm doing off that. Maybe it's it's a target that I have set up on my kids in my kids' room where I've got to practice pying around, you know, a door frame and then engaging that target. Uh, I've got a multiple targets actually set up in my garage because uh, I actually my garage is converted over into a full uh, gym. Um, so I have targets all over the place because another thing I do is I incorporate in uh, dry fire into my workouts. So um, I think if you're able to do it, I think it's great being able to just it, it takes away that extra layer of, of, hey, I don't have time to do this or, uh, you know, I don't want to do this. If, if everything's already set, mm. then it's really easy. All you do is you, you, you grab your, your pistol, you grab, you know, whatever it is you do your dry fire with, um, and, and then and you get at it. Five, ten minutes, and you're done. Really, that's all it takes. Five to ten minutes a day, your, your, your fundamental skills are, are going to increase so much just by putting that extra five to ten minutes a day. Uh, another thing that I do is actually I have uh, larger uh, targets. Um, that I, I staple onto uh, large pieces of cardboard, and some of the more the advanced training uh, where I, I spend a little bit more time when it comes to uh, room clearing and that sort of thing. Um, I actually have my my wife and my kids place them around the house uh, in different areas, so I don't know where they're at, and then that helps. You know, again, it, it helps keep the dry fire uh, interesting because again, you don't you don't know where the, the, these targets are going to be placed. Uh, but it also, I just, I keep those targets ready to rock and roll. So again, all we got to do is pull them out, place them somewhere and then we can go. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh you're right. I mean, setup sucks, right? <laughs> Anytime like set up for yeah. anything, I think just sucks. So uh, if it's already there, anything, you're right. I mean, make it as easy as like remove those obstacles, remove, remove those barriers that you can be used as excuses for procrastination. Right. Um, makes total sense. Yeah. Um, 
you know, Nick, when we we talk about any type of firearm training, uh, I'm a, I'm like I I get I, I don't want I'm, I'm trying not to get into a rant here over how much uh, it bothers me the way that people train at the live fire range, but you know, when people look at that as like this is the main way to train, this is like it's tried, true, traditional and it bothers me because there's, it's just not realistic, right? We talk about how they're two dimensional targets. They're not, it's not obviously not shooting back at you. It's, it's, they're not moving. It's usually in well lit area, you know, so all the things that you're not going to face in a gunfight are usually pretty much there at the live fire range. With dry fire, you can get a lot more, you can get a lot more creative with it. And so we try and urge people to make your training as realistic as possible. But I wanted to find out from you, like, what what tips do you give your students when it comes to adding real, like, how do you make dry fire more realistic to try and, um, you know, try and mimic what you would expect in a real gunfight? Uh, that's, that's a good question. Uh, I mean, there's only so much realistic you can do when it when it comes to dry fire training, but there is a lot you can do. Um, low light situations. I mean, when the most Gunfights, you know, what time of day does it usually happens at nighttime? Usually happens when it's dark out. But when you go to the range, most of the time it's, it's again, like you said, it's a well lit area that you never get to train at night. So with dry fire training, you can do that. Okay. You can, you can work on your flashlight techniques. You can work on using your, your, your weapon mounted lights to see what the difference is. Uh, and it's great to actually be on both sides of it when you have, when you're doing low lights. To be, being the guy going through and engaging the target with, you know, uh, you know, whatever light you're using, but also try, uh, being on the other side of it. See what it looks like from, from the, the bad guy's point of view when you're getting that, that bright light shine in your face and, and what is it like? You know, what are you, what are you able to see? Are you able to see a silhouette? Are you able to see the light? You know, um, so you just get, you get to see both sides of it. Now that, that's, that's one way that we have done it. Um, again, like I mentioned earlier, incorporating in dry fire into uh, your workouts, so hopefully you're working out. Uh, so what that does is that 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 um, simulates the elevate the, the spike in that heart rate uh, that'll happen if you got into a real life situation. Because again, that, no matter what that real life situation, that that heart rate's going to elevate. Can you still get shots on target when your heart rate's up? Okay, and, and you're breathing hard. Okay, it's 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 a whole different ball game being able to shoot that way. Um, uh, if, if you've got a buddy, if you've got a significant other, uh, practicing like firing and movement. Okay, what if you do get into a firefight where you get into a situation where you need to either move forward or get away, uh, you know, from, from the bad guy? Um, working communication, because that's the biggest thing when it comes to fire and movement trails, is communication with your partner. Why not do that with dry fire instead of doing it on, you know, with live fire? That's, mm. that's, you need, you need someone watching you, you know, and instructing you for that if you're, if you're working on that. But, Work that, work your communication drill. What do I say when I'm moving? What do I say when, when I, when I need to, to run a reload? Work on the, those drills and those, those cues, uh, with your, with your partner or, or again with your significant other. Um, so you guys can lock that stuff down. Uh, another thing that we do is, uh, work on positions. So a lot of times, you know, we, we're, we're just standing there at the, at the, at the square range, just shooting at targets. Well, drive hard, you know, work on standing position, kneeling position. A, a seated position, lying position, lying on your side. Imagine that you were knocked down into this position. Don't just shoot from those positions, but imagine you were knocked down into those positions. Can you still draw your weapon? Okay, can you draw your weapon from those positions? Are you laying on your weapon, you know, if in that position? Are you able to still draw that weapon out? Because 
maybe in a real life situation, you got put in that position and you didn't have time to draw your weapon yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking notes here, but like there were so many, there's so many good points in there that we could, uh, we could go down. I mean, one, like, uh, I love, I love that you said, you know, you can do this with your workout. The one thing I like about that is like, we're talking about making it part of your routine, right? Well, if you can, if you can tag it, if you can attach it to something else that you, you already have a habit of doing, like if you're used to working out three times a week, like make that part of your, make that part of your, your workout routine. Like one, it's more realistic because you're getting your heart rate up, your muscles are tired, you're, you're going to be out of breath maybe. Um, we did a, actually I did a podcast on this and I'll put, I'll put a link in the notes for, uh, for everybody for this podcast, but, uh, the tactical workout was, that was one of the things that we talked about there for using both, whether it's self-defense techniques, whatever you want to work on and how to incorporate that into your workout is, uh, is really important and it helps make it that, um, Helps you get it out of the way and it helps it make it part of your, part of your routine. The other thing that, which I thought was really, really important and I, and I've actually, I've never done this before and I really like it that most people are doing dry fire solo. And so if you are, I mean, if you think about it, if you're with your spouse, your kids or whatever and you're in a parking lot and you get attacked, yes, you engage the attacker. Yes, you do all the things tactically that you need to. But part of that is also what does your family do? Do they go run for help? Do you know, do you, if you're in your home, do you want them to go to the safe room? Like, do you have a code word for getting in the safe room? So usually, I, and I have to say, I admit to this as well, that I get in kind of tunnel vision when I'm doing dry fire and thinking about, okay, I have other family members with me. So if I'm, if I'm training home defense, then yelling out, you know, um, you know, escape, you know, we tell people to use a, don't use like some sort of a code word to get to the safe room, like blue whale or some shit like that. Like make it something that they, their brains can latch onto it and do something. And so are you giving those commands? Are you using those commands? Are they part of what you're used to doing in your training so that if you have to use them, that you're actually going to, um, to, uh, be able to use them in a, in a real fight. So there were, there were so many things there, even just like the wrestling stuff. If there are people that take martial arts training, wear a blue gun or something to your class, right? Like I take, you know, I go to the Krav Maga class um, nearby here and um, I will, I will take a training folder with me. I will take my firearm with me. And that way you find out one, when you're doing ground fighting training, oh yeah, I guess I can't get to my appendix carry when this guy's sitting on top of my chest, you know, things like that, that you might not know unless you're, inco- you're incorporating you know, your, your firearm in with other things that you're doing for personal protection. And I could, we could probably do a whole other, whole other uh, interview just on <laughs> some of the things that you said there, but uh, there, I just wanted to bring some attention to it because there's some really good things there. So, so Nick, when it, here's one of the things though. Okay. Right. So we can simulate training as much as we can at home, I think, but our attacks are going to happen. We might have a home defense attack. Sure. Uh, but a lot of attacks are going to happen in public. They're going to happen in a parking lot. They're going to happen like at an ATM machine or something. And obviously I'm not going to tell people to go out there with a blue gun or any gun and, you know, necessarily just go to the local Walmart and it's seven o'clock in the afternoon, go inside, get a couple gallons of milk. And then while you're in the parking lot, go, you know, try drawing your weapon in between cars or something. So that can get very dangerous in today's climate. So, um, but, Nevertheless, we want our dry fire to be as realistic as possible, and we know that we can be attacked in a public spot. So, what are some things? What are some some advice you can give people on on preparing for a public attack with dry fire, without us either going to prison or getting shot by somebody that 
you know, sees us doing it. <laughs> so, yeah, I do not recommend going out of public and practice any dry fire practice. Um, so uh, there's a couple things that, that we do is, uh, one, again, if you're at home, um, uh, again, you're, you're limited in what you can do, especially if you're by yourself. If you're by yourself, there's, there's, there's not situations that you can really put yourself into. You need extra people to create these type of roles uh, to try to make it as realistic as possible. So one of the things we do here at home is uh, we, we do a thing uh, every two months is we call it Lights Out Weekend uh, for my family where I actually go out and I, I shut all the power off to the house at the breakers. Um, and we're not allowed to use, you know, anything electronic or anything like that for the entire weekend. My kids love it, you know, and it gets them off their devices and games and everything else. Uh, and we actually do a lot of I, I get my training in a lot at that point because uh, we do role playing. Uh, so we'll set up different scenarios inside the house uh, where, you know, the kids may be running at me. I may have kid, you know, one of my kids yank get on my arm as I'm trying to uh, engage a target. I may be holding one of them uh, as I've got to kind of go through the house and, and clear uh, and different scenarios that, that we can come up with. Uh, number one, it's very, uh, number two, uh, my kids absolutely love it. It's like, it's like playtime for them. Uh, so, uh, and uh, again, my, my wife gets good training out of it as well because she gets involved uh, with the role playing part and uh, the shooting part of it. Um, so that that's one way. That's one way that that we've kind of tr- try to create these 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 situations uh, within your house um, that you might be able to run into in public. Um, another thing that 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 we do is again, I've got my my ranch. Uh, when we do run courses and those sort of things. Uh, we do a ton of different scenario drills. Like you said, like, like you're standing at an ATM, you just pulled money out. You turn around and a guy's on top of you. What, what do you do? What is it, what is it like to be able to push this guy away and be able to get to your weapon? Are you able to engage him? You know, are you used to engaging from the hip? Do you have to go to full extension to engage? No, no, you don't. Um, we, we do drills where you're sitting at a, a restaurant table. Um, and we set up, like I told you, I have these cardboard targets. So I have cardboard targets that are bad guys and I have cardboard targets that are not bad guys. And we set those up all over the house. So then I may have to push back from a table, draw my weapon out, and then I may have to move and get and uh, move around uh, possible uh, non-combatants and, and engage those bad guys. So it gives, again, there's only so much you can do when it comes to a real life situation, but Doing drills, you know, like that. I mean, again, most of the stuff you can do um, at home. Um, another one we do is, is uh, we add a medical uh, a component onto it. Mm. Um, so if we have a group of people, um, you know, and there's multiple guys that are in the role play, we'll say, hey, that guy just got shot. This is the situation that's happening. He's, you know, spurting blood out of his leg or that sort of thing. So now they've got to think about what do I do in this situation? Is there still rounds coming down range? Do I take care of him? Do I take care of the threat? So it really gets their their brain thinking at the same time that they're they're, they're stressed uh, and and trying to give them a somewhat real life scenario because again if there's a mass shooting or anything like that there's going to be people shot laying around what are you going to do are you going to are you going to take care of the people you know your your daughter that just got shot next to you or are you going to engage a bad guy yeah. which which one you know? yeah yeah. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking of is that, you know, if you're looking at a parking lot, like it's pavement, right? It's not your wood floor and your, or the carpet in your, in your, uh, right? So it makes sense that even if you have a, if you have a driveway that is, that is, um, you know, paved, 
you know, at least even just getting down like what it feels like to have that kind of um, that kind of a, a surface that you're on. Likewise, if you are if you live in a cold weather area. Right. So if there's like ice on the ground, if there's snow on the ground, you can do all that outside in a in an area that is protected and not, you know, it's on your property. And you can find out very quickly that, oh, my dress shoes slip all over the ice. Probably not the best thing to wear and going to work. Should I switch to rubber soles? Should I, you know, one of the things we used to do with executive protection was we would, we'd have like high class, like Italian shoes that would have a leather sole, but we'd have like a cobbler put a, um, put pads in them, like on the sole, like carve out where you could put rubber so that you would have that kind of traction there. But again, if you're just doing everything inside of like the, the kit, the spare bedroom with the carpet on it, and that's what you're used to, you don't find those things out until that that moment of truth. So you're right. Like if you can kind of create the, like you said um, in a a previous conversation we had, just like bringing the lights down, you know, as much as you can simulate the outdoors that you have control over, there's probably a lot more when people get creative um, with it as well. You know, so Nick, the, um, when we talk about, we're, we're talking about adding realism to all of this. And, and one of the big things, the big problems I have with live fire range is that you don't have somebody shooting, shooting back at you. Not that that's a problem. Not like I want somebody shooting back at me, but just like adding realism to it. Like we definitely, it's different when you realize you can get shot. All of a sudden you, you're, you start thinking about cover a whole different way than what you did where, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be practicing where cover goes, right? So the best way to do that, I think, is oftentimes force on force type dry fire training, whether that's with, um, well, with whatever type of weapon, but you know, I, I, just I, I I know everybody's going to come down to me because I didn't give all the safety measures of dry fire where uh, would I be able to recite it? I don't know. But no, like no rounds in your weapon, no, uh, you know, weapons even in, in your county where you live. Um, check, have your, you know, <laughs> your old principal from high school check your weapon. Um, I, I know that you can never put enough emphasis on safety. I'm just I'm doing that so that everybody leaves me alone, doesn't send me hate mail. But nonetheless, Force on force requires you even more to be thinking about those safety measures, but it is really a, a, a powerful um, realism factor that you can add to dry fire training. So I wanted to hear from you, like what are some tips that you have on adding, like going to that level of dry fire, dry fire practice with force on force, the best way to do that. And are there any drills or anything you can give us where somebody can really t- kind of ratchet things up to that level? Right, right. So, um, yeah, we do we do a ton of force on force with my company. Um, I do a ton of. I mean, I, I do force on force with my family as well. Uh, we just use basic airsoft guns inside the house uh, that aren't you know going to bust a window or whatever. That that if you if they actually get shot by it. Um, so we use we use that the airsoft inside the house. Um, uh, when we're at the ranch, and we're actually running courses and we're doing force on force. Sometimes it'll be airsoft. Sometimes it'll be uh, UTMs. Um, sometimes we've got these other guns that actually shoot a, a rubber uh, ball out uh, because we want to make sure that, uh, especially when we get guys out that are training with us, that if they get shot, they know they got shot. Um, and then the next time they go through, they're really not going to want to get shot because it doesn't feel very good. Um, and, uh, again, one of the things at, at our camps that we've seen is we'll do a course where you're, hey, let's go through the, let's go through the shoot house. You're just going to go through practice your, your clearing techniques. And they go through, yeah, okay, they, they did great. Uh, but then once we do what we call the hunter-defender drill, uh, so we put one guy in the house, and basically he's simulating that this is his house. It's his house, and someone has just broken in. Now the other guy going in 
He's simulating that, hey, this is my house. I have to go in and clear it. Now, again, uh, that, that's a whole other topic of when you should actually clear a building because, if anything, you should be calling the police to clear it. You should never be doing it yourself unless, for some reason, you just have to go in and clear. But what we see is the guys that actually have to go in and clear that house, their, their heart rate, as soon as they start going, it, it spikes. The heart rate spikes right away because it's a whole different game when you know that there's someone else. There's somebody in there, and, and they're looking to shoot at me, shoot me, uh, with something that does not feel very good. And it, it, it changes the whole game. You just see them start sweating, and they're, they're I mean, they're barely moving. They're just going nice and slow, you know, high in their corners, but it, it teaches, you know, it, it gives them that, that, that realistic feel. Uh, plus, it gets them to use the angles. Because we all know with clearing buildings, stuff like that, it's an angles game. If you don't use the angles, if you expose a leg before you expose your eye and muzzle, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna get your leg, you're gonna get your leg shot. Um, and again, it just, it changes the whole game when, you, when you've got other people in there, uh, shooting back at you. And again, one thing I do with my kids and my family is that we run airsoft in the house. Uh, we shut the lights off uh, and we run drills. Um, we've got a strobe light. So we'll shut the lights off and run a strobe inside the house. Uh, we've got, we'll play loud music inside the house with the strobe just to really mess with your senses as you're trying to go through and do whatever drill uh, you're trying to do. Hmm. I freaking love that house drill, man. That sounds like a that sounds like a blast to do. So, uh, and then, and you you brought up a lot of factors that can go with it. The other thing I'll say is like when you're talking about like um, you know if you expose your leg and and you know like those are things that can come from the other person that you're working with, right? So whether you do this house drill or whether it's any sort of force on force drill, like it, it it's really helpful if you do like an after action review where the other person says, yeah. I shot you because I saw your leg before I, I knew where you were. Like I was looking out the door and all of a sudden I, when I saw your leg, I knew exactly where you were and I would have shot through the wall. Oh, that's right. I never thought, man, I guess the sheetrock isn't going to stop that. Right. Like, so there's a whole lot you can do there. If you, if you get that feedback back from the other person, here's why I got you or here's what I think I did wrong. What did you see? That communication is there's a lot of learning stuff in there that can really, uh, really work well you learn sometimes learning the hard way is uh is the best way especially when it's only dry fire right so um man this is awesome stuff there's so many really cool actionable tips in this uh in this interview i really appreciate it um listen everybody i hope that uh definitely grab the show notes for this because we're gonna we'll, we'll take all the highlights and we'll go ahead and put um some of these in there um as quickly as possible but you might want to listen to this one a second time through uh and definitely get go over and check out uh, go over and check out Nick's website. Um, he's got a he's got a great membership program over there. He does a lot of video training there. It's a lot of really good quality training. So uh, you wanted to go check that out. He also does live training as well. So they're doing a lot of tactical courses that you can take. Go check him out over at www.ghostringtactical.com. And until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.